God. <laughs> Beautiful. Did you load that up suddenly? Do you remember that? listening to charge tech podcast the podcast where we cover tech under the hood it's john edgar and i'm joined by my co-host owen williams how are you today will owen how are you today, williams <laughs> we go with that intro because it was perfect seriously yeah <laughs> you nailed it like i, know. I usually do it three times I can oh, damn. i'm good man i'm good, good. how's the weather <laughs> how's the weather in amsterdam are we just rolling with this? I guess so. I mean, we may as well. <laughs> the weather in Amsterdam is great. Uh, I just returned from a 40-kilometer bike ride. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. I told you it was serious bike riding around the polders. It's like uh, the fields with the water in them. I don't know, really. How fast do you go? Name is. Like, not fast, like 20Ks an hour or so. Um, like, it's just, but it's really flat, so... Do some people not like get up really quick and you go flying by you and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Like the, there's so many dudes in Lycra, it's unbelievable. Going like, like 50 miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. It's Lycra Central. I wish I had one of our electric bikes because it would just be so much fun. So, how does the electric bike work? You have sometimes power and sometimes not power. It's uh, electric assist. So our electric bike, Edvamov, by the way, <laughs> this is not sponsored. <laughs> Our electric bike is electric assist, so instead of it won't go unless you're pedaling, if that makes sense. Uh, so the whole point is to like, it gives you extra boosts, so you're not really working, but you're still pedaling. Um, it's really like made for cities, so you don't feel like you're going to be all sweaty when you arrive at the other end. That's a good idea. Cool. And is yeah, it discreet? Nice. Yeah, you can't see it. It's built into the existing frame that we use for our other bikes, which is kind of like ridiculous what? engineering. Yeah, so me and you are going to ride one when I'm in New York. Yeah. I have three to use. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Raise your hand. Put your hand so down. How's how's the weather slash New York? New York is good. Um, the weather is, I mean, it's like almost unbearable to be outside today. I got out up at... Really? Oh, yeah. I got up at 8 to go for a bike ride also. Um, I have a Tokyo bike. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, I love my Tokyo bike. It's so nice. I like... I can go really fast on it. And I was thinking today, I wonder what it's like to have a f- bike that you can like, but I can't go so, so fast because I can feel it starting yeah, to like, like a city bike. get a wobble. <laughs> but I wonder what a really fast bike must be like to ride because I presume yeah. you don't get that wobble and stuff. Like those fixed fixed gear uh, things. M- mine is fixed, but it's not. Oh, it yeah, but it's not. It's not. When you get up to speed, basically, I feel like if I pushed it too, too much faster it would become unsafe. Like I just, it's not right. to go that fast. Too. <laughs> it's yeah. And I'm not that good at, I mean, I, I probably can ride at like 30 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour, like down a hill and be comfortable. Wow. But more than that. And I feel uncomfortable anyway, weather is insane. Um, but cause at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock this morning, it was like almost unbearably hot to ride. So I can't imagine how wow. hot it's going to get today. Global warming is nice. Anyway. But do you have air conditioning or do you suffer? No, I have central air, um, which is nice. You will enjoy my central air. Uh, yeah, we don't have any any in Amsterdam. So when it's hot, it's really hot. <laughs> I noticed last night that um, so I live in Williamsburg and mm-hmm. 
and I live in kind of like a neighborhood. So I used to live in Manhattan and right. And Manhattan is just a whole bunch of kind of small neighborhoods put together, but you kind of move through them very, very quickly when you live in Manhattan and you kind of like, okay, this is this neighborhood. It's five blocks. This is this neighborhood. It's five blocks in Williamsburg. It's like, this is this neighborhood. And it's like, it can be huge. You like, you couldn't even walk across right. the whole neighborhood kind of yeah. thing. Um, and I noticed last night that in Manhattan, there's like all yellow cabs everywhere at like coming home. This was like midnight last night coming home. If I was in Manhattan, there'd be yellow cabs everywhere and people walking everywhere and people on their bikes. There was just lines and lines and streams of Uber going down my street from like, really? yeah, from like midnight till probably 1am. I just sat on the front porch and drank a beer and like just watched what was going on. And it like, you can tell in New York, the Ubers are, have tea for taxi at the front of their license plate. Right, right. So you know it's like a regular car, but you know, um, unless unless it's Uber X, but most people uh, drive these T taxis, and yeah, yeah. so yeah, I was just seeing streams of them all all night, which I thought was really interesting, given that the news last week was that Uber has apparently lost one point two billion dollars. But then I wasn't Great. super super surprised because I think they subsidize a lot of rides or something. They subsidize like basically every ride, I think. Okay. I mean, if you look at the prices of Uber right now, it's not a sustainable price, I would say, right? Like what? Uh, they have that Uber pool in San Francisco. It's like $3 a ride. I mean, seriously? <laughs> it's, that's not sustainable. So, I don't know. It's a lot of money to lose though, right? And it, it was the first half of the year. But I wonder if that was partially related to the China news as well. $1.2 billion. It's like the fastest cash burning startup out there, right? Surely. It must be. I think when you think though, they've, ex- they have a lot of operational uh, logistics to deal with. Right. Um, Cause they have, they must have a small staff in every single city that they operate in driver relations and like, you know, cause I know that drivers go down to the offices. So there's a small staff and they operate in a lot of markets they, I presume, are going to be faced with a humongous amount of fine and uncertainty around um, how they're going to be able to operate in all of these different jurisdictional yeah. um, uh, and regulatory environments, um, and that all of those jurisdictional and regulatory environments are completely disparate from country to country, city to city. There state must be so much money on lobbying alone, like yeah, and then lobbying, yeah, everywhere. And, Oh yeah. It's a lot of, I mean, it's a startup that's unlike any other startup we've ever seen though, right? I mean, it's a capital intensive business disrupting every taxi company in the world. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, I, I think it's pretty intense, but th- we talked about, I feel like we talk about Uber all the time, but maybe that's because it's, you know, smart cars and self-driving cars and all this kind of thing. But isn't it, uh, do like, what happens when they can't raise beyond this? Do they get acquired? Like, no, you would use the IPO. Ah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, people forget, like, really, an initial public offering is that you're raising money from the public. So the from public everybody. are saying, yeah, they're saying, I want to invest in this company because I li- believe in the longevity of it and I want it to exist. This is sort of where we've gone wrong over the last 
20 years, 30 years generally is, you know, we IPO'd companies that didn't really provide that much value directly to humanity and society. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so no one wanted to invest in them or they didn't understand them. So then they invested in them. And then when they didn't do well, everyone was surprised. But um, the point being that when you, if you could get every, like, you basically need every single person to go, oh, Uber, yeah, I I, I, I use that. I would invest in that. I, and then right. if Uber IPO'd, you'd say, all right, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in Uber. I like using it. I want it to be successful. Um, the other thing about companies like that is that it's they're much easier to lobby and stuff like that because usually they're, in theory, they should be working in the public interest. So because if you're working in the public interest and the public will continue to invest in you. Now, these are all mm. the, the the underlying theories of economics and, <laughs> and, and commerce. And, and, but I mean, we haven't, we haven't actually operated that way in like 50 years or something like 60 years. No, like, but you keep saying the public markets are irrational. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, they, because, because the public markets became wall street, right? I mean, right. You know, if in Jesus, threw them out of the the the, ch- the changers out of the temple kind of thing right like there's yeah. there, it's we kind of you know it's yeah anyway so Great. Uh, well, so that's how uber raises again um interesting and and i we'll see i i really do think that they have a better chance of being successful with an with a partner i think you know we talked about it last week but apple i, or, I want them to be acquired i do I think it would be cooler if they got acquired than IPOing, but that maybe that's just like my curious curiosity more than anything else. The thing about them IPOing is you get a lot of insight into their business operations because they have to mm. uh, CDC filings. We know how much they're burning on actual cab drivers at that point yeah. because I mean we don't nobody really knows, right? And actually, the thing I'd be most interested in is um, what they're pouring into uh, those car loans. <laughs> we talked about yeah the other thing is like if you're really long on on uber you know i don't know how much money they have in the bank but um i think they're doing two million two billion dollars in revenue they're burning a lot but they also have the opportunity here to eliminate all of their um or a large percentage of their of their uh, operating expenses. Um, if they if they move into this self driving world, you know they don't have to deal with the the the, uh, the drivers at all. And so it's just like well, that's why I think he's so desperate. That is Travis Kalanick. He's so like adamant that they have to get self driving cars on the road. You know, by twenty twenty, the business model doesn't work otherwise. I think. I think that's you know? probably true. Like they're racing against their own bank account at this point. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Good way to good way to run a business though. When you're racing yourself, you certainly you're like really you're on point. I think. Anyway. Yeah, for sure. Well, again, I'm sure we'll talk about Uber every week. So has the <laughs> iPhone been pwned? Yes, it's been. It has been owned. No, it's so bad though. Like I had a I had a panic attack. So I think it's the first time this week that the iPhone had a malware attack, and it was three separate ones, basically. It was, uh, it's kind of a crazy story, actually. It was government hackers that got caught. It's a private company that was performing work on behalf of uh, some governments around the world, including Brazil and some other countries like the UAE. And it's like the craziest, well, I mean, this quote is fantastic from Citizen Lab. It says, uh, this week we discovered one of the most sophisticated pieces of cyber espionage software we've ever seen in our careers. And uh, the basically the gist of it is, the company would 
select targets. So one target was a human rights activist in the UAE. He got a weird text message saying that his bill was overdue with a bit.ly link in it. And if he clicked it, it looked like basically nothing happened. But in the background, his iPhone was jailbroken and it used three separate exploits to install malware that gathers like all communication on the iPhone, which is crazy. And you couldn't, you couldn't find out after that. And it like, nobody knows, well, except Apple, I suppose, how long this was in the wild, how long it was being exploited. And it was just a one click kind of thing. So it could have, if it had gotten outside of this company, it could have been extreme, right? Like every iPhone on the earth could have been compromised. We, well, I mean, maybe they are, maybe we don't even know, but, uh, it's pretty serious shit. So if you're listening, update your iPhone. <laughs> Holy cow. Like it's it's we've we've seen some small iPhone exploits in the past and usually they're kind of used for a jailbreak, but this is the most damaging one I would say. Apple's Apple's um reputation has been that their security has been incredibly, you know, potent. But, you know, three separate malwares that allow gathering of all communication and breaking of encryption is just phenomenal. They have this, like, marketing material. Uh, I'll post the link in the show notes that shows off what you can gather. It's like SMS, email, microphones, photos and screenshots, instant messaging, all files on the device, calendars, phone calls, social networks, contact details, browsing, device settings, network connection details, and location tracking, <laughs> which is everything. Why? Who? So, okay. So this company, NSO, mm-hmm. is a government contractor. Yeah, um, yeah. And are they, they were very stealthy. Yeah, it seems so. Do you know where they're based at? I don't think so. I'm just scanning the article to see where it is. But they've been around since at least 2014. In 2013, oh, yeah, they talked to the Defense News saying, we're a complete ghost. <laughs> Which Weird. Is... But they're not very sophisticated if they're just like, I mean, they are very sophisticated, but they're also yeah. not very sophisticated. Like if your social engineering is that you're sending people mm. links and text messages and hoping that they click them. Yeah, I mean that's fishing at it's at a basic level, yeah. right? It's 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 the same old thing recycled, but in a really interesting way. That the cell phone is so personal that when it's compromised like that, you have insight into everything, right? It's, I mean, it's a phenomenal a breach of anything possible. I mean, this is literally the kind of thing the NSA dreams of. So I wonder if you know they already had it. I I would assume that they probably contracted the NSO at some point. You know, so. It's pretty fascinating. <laughs> the The craziest thing about it is uh, Citizen Lab and Lookout contacted Apple about it and it was patched within 10 days, which is pretty impressively fast, but still it was out there for quite a while, I imagine. So do, do you know what areas of uh, iOS it was expo- exploiting or what, what was specifically like? Was it yeah, a... Yeah, so it was... It, it looks like it... Well, I mean, it looks like it exploited the network stack and jailbroke the iPhone. So at a basic level, all it did was the similar thing to what jailbreakers have been doing for years. It's those same techniques that they use to, you know, break the iPhone security and install pirated apps and those kind of tweak things that you can do crazy things with the iPhone. So it was that same same model, except this was a jailbreak where they did the same thing but installed apps that weren't visible to the user so that, that you wouldn't have known. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the people who was targeted they found a tweet on twitter from two years ago uh which is crazy two, and he uh he got five, 
Yeah, no. So he um he tweeted screenshots of the these weird texts he was getting from a spam number two years ago, and it's the same servers. The researchers found it on Twitter, and uh, it's like he get he got messages like uh, warning of a five hundred dollar charge on his phone bill, and then he got adult videos that proved his wife was cheating on him, and all sorts of really personalized stuff that he was supposed to click. But it's so interesting because it's still fishing at a basic level. So they couldn't do it over the air, but it's still, I mean, most people would probably just click it, right? So this group is an Israeli-based company, but it's American-owned. It's it's really mind-boggling to me how, um, like, Israel is so good at technology. Like, mm. they're, I mean, I don't know why that's mind-boggling, but they are, like, really good at technology. Especially fact, with these kind of compromises. We had, uh, I have a co-founder in, um, the building that I work in, uh, who I kind of hang out with fairly frequently. And he used to be in the, uh, Israeli special forces as a software developer. And his job was writing the software for their planes after they came. So they come with like, yeah. So you order your like fighter jets they come and then but they just come like base and then every country build uses their software developers to build whatever operating system they want on top of the base operating system from the like whatever apps they want on top of the base operating system from the manufacturer so his job was to write all the applications so basically like you have this huge competitive advantage in war if your algorithms for targeting or better or um your you optimize your code so that your software is better or you you know you have better right, right. whatever right heads up displays and he said and he said objectively speaking and we, we had the best software developers and the best software on our planes like no other military had wow. written some of the stuff that we'd written he's like we were doing neural networks on our plane before people in america even knew what neural networks were damn that's phenomenal crazy i mean i think that there's quite a lot of a you know a lot of major startups are coming out of israel as well right uh, quite a lot of uh, famous ones i'm trying to think of a few offhand and now i'm completely flaking but i know there's a lot of noise about it in europe because a lot of them start out there and then they found their headquarters in amsterdam or london a lot of the time to raise capital and all that kind of thing it's really really interesting so I don't know. This is I, this is a crazy story. I think it's it's pretty fascinating that they use three different exploits to kind of do this silently for so long and nobody noticed. So if you're listening, update your iPhone to iOS 9.3.5 right now <laughs> so you don't get owned. <laughs> so what's up with, um, speaking of getting owned, what's up with face, <laughs> Facebook and uh, WhatsApp? So do you use WhatsApp? I, 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 do, I don't. Well, I do. I have to because I'm in Europe and I hate it. I really despise it. But WhatsApp, when they got acquired by Facebook, was it like two years or three years ago now? It was a pretty expensive acquisition, right? Like $16 billion or something. They kind of, the founders, the founders have always been infamous for saying that they hate ads and that they'll always, you know, charge and have a good business model and all this kind of thing. They won't mind you for, for your data. And so when the acquisition happened... They said explicitly that, you know, they're going to be operating separately internally at Facebook and data won't be shared and all that kind of thing. But guess what happened? (laughs) Mm -hmm. WhatsApp is sharing data with Facebook now. They updated their terms and conditions. They have a new thing. Um, Basically, I think if you open it this week, you have the choice to opt out. It's just 
essentially they're just sharing your phone number for better targeting ads to you. I feel like it's a little bit more than just your phone number, but you know, it goes against everything they kind of stood for all those years ago, but it was inevitable as well. I mean, for 16 billion, you can buy anybody's loyalty, right? So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, if you, if you use WhatsApp, uh, you actually have two weeks to opt out of this whole thing. So you can open the app and untick the box and then push agree. And it, won't share it until next time i'm sure but i recommend it i mean if you want to use whatsapp and you don't want your phone number shared with facebook on there i think i think it's worth doing for sure i mean i hate whatsapp but dutch love it seriously it's crazy <laughs> i use uh Weichi a little bit wechat really um yep that's cool what for just uh a lot of my I have tons of, uh, I just have tons of, uh, of Asian friends and they all use it. So I started using wow. it and, uh, it's pretty cool. I also use line, which is another, Oh uh, yeah. I used to uh, use line a lot. I like their stickers. The whole <laughs> ecosystem is really cool, right? I mean, those Chinese and Asian messaging apps are really far ahead of what we're doing everywhere else. Like Facebook is busy unbundling and WeChat is busy like shoving every possible service into one app, music service, pizza delivery, payment, you know, <laughs> it's a one-stop yeah. shop. It's amazing. Um, apparently when you land in, uh, I think it's mainland China, is WeChat Chinese? I think it is, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So That's apparently cool. when you land in China, the app seriously just unlocks shitloads of other features that you can't see outside the US, uh, sorry, outside China, which is pretty, pretty cool actually. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically China has negated the whole the whole kind of front end of the internet and just gone straight to apps, which is cool. Um, and I think that's actually eventually the model that the U S will go to. I think we'll see a lot less yeah. internet and a lot more apps. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I'll uh, send you a link to put in the show notes of a podcast that I was a guest on, um, a year ago or almost two years ago now where myself and a venture capitalist by the name of Jerry Chen, Greylock, uh, had a conversation about, the end of the world wide web so all right we'll see we'll see um so new planet yeah apparently there's a new earth pretty close too right yeah uh (laughs) it's uh four light years away which is that's fairly reasonable yeah um it's in doable bit of a road trip yeah i think it's uh it's near uh, alpha century uh a b um isn't it crazy how they keep like how they find these things they bounce stuff off them and all sorts of stuff to figure out what the content is of them. space is amazing uh and i i can't wait to see what the next 10 years holds because it's gonna be i'm really convinced we live in a simulation now you are (laughs) a little bit i don't know when these planet things happen i'm kind of thinking wow you know this is what I would do if I was running a simulation too. Well, you just sl- slowly give us new planets to go explore. <laughs> yeah, slowly surprise us with things closer and closer. Eventually, yeah, and it's uh, wild how they kind of just appear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like oh, that's oh, that wasn't there before. <laughs> I don't know. It's really, it's Did really you, well, funny. My favorite things. I watch the PBS Space Time shows all the time, um, and they had the last episode was about the Dyson sphere and oh, whether wow. or not we should build a Dyson sphere. But actually, so a Dyson sphere is basically um, a massive sphere of mirrors that uh, harvest energy from 
either a sun or a star or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so they went through like why a Dyson sphere is impossible, but actually Dyson swarm is uh, a good idea. And then I guess there's this like, uh, you know, tabby star where it flickers in a way that we don't understand. It makes no sense. There's a lot of speculation as to what that might be. And, uh, and, uh, some people think it's like a spacecraft moving towards earth on like some trajectory, but these are like not super preposterous, like (laughs) theories, like they have math behind them and science behind them. But the one that like is the most reasonable, ridiculous, um, theory is that tabby star has a dyson swarm around it and that in an area past it that we can't see is an inhabited planet that is using tabby's star as energy to feed that planet so now it's really out there but we just don't know it's the theory see my thing about extraterrestrialism or whatever is that is that a real word extraterrestrials Mm -hmm. like close enough either they're they're either they're just a little bit further ahead of us or they're not bothering about us or they have come and talked to us or come here and then just like been like, yeah, these guys are not very, these folks are not very interesting. Let's like, that's a really interesting discussion in itself. I don't know. There's a really great post. I think it's on uh, wait, but why I'll find it, but it talks about the odds of finding, uh, you know, extraterrestrial, extra. Uh, it's like snappers of chess is a concept. Extra snappers of chess is <laughs> The chance of finding aliens, it's not really about the you know them being more advanced or whatever. It's about that that barrier of evolution. So there's like this barrier that you have to jump through, and the the chances of evolution evolving into something intelligent is like one in one hundred bazillion. And the the post basically argues that it's either terrifying because we're the first civilization to jump over that wall and that's why there's nobody else or there's other ones but they haven't figured out how to jump over the next wall right so it's really it's a really whole interesting topic if you think about it it's like shit it's pretty scary if we're the first you know so the the whole argument is before you can get to human life there had to be a hundred million fails you know extinction events and all that kind of thing before one group became like us so imagine it's either just us on our own or there is maybe one or two others out there but how far ahead are they or how far we are ahead of them depends on when they jump through those barriers and how long it took them to get there before they actually did it i'm going to put the post in the in the comments it's really fascinating because you're like oh shit i'm not sure what's worse like the fact that we obviously yeah we're alone or (laughs) Or we're not alone. Yeah, it's, it really is that. It's like, what is more terrifying, that we're alone or that we're not alone? Yeah, exactly. It's it's pretty interesting. Oh, it's called the Fermi yeah, also, Paradox. Also, if you believe in the simulator theory, then every failed attempt is just a failed experiment where some something was learned and then the next time it worked. And so right. there's a chance that we are the first... Yeah, so this is these, there's a there's a bunch of arguments. I'm just going to quickly go through them because this fascinates me. So it's it's called the Fermi paradox. I'm going to put the post in the comments, but here's some great diagrams drawn in Microsoft Paint, and it's basically there's a whole bunch of um, hurdles you have to get over, which are commonly achieved ev- evolutionary leaps, right? And so the first few of those are the kind of ones that still you know kill off a few organisms, but eventually there's the evolutionary leap that almost no species manages to get past. And that's called the great filter, right? 
And so uh, the first theory is we're rare. Uh, you know, the great filter is behind us and we didn't already get, you know, we already got past it, but maybe we're not the only one, right? So there's maybe one or two, but it's, it is the great filter for a reason. Uh, the second one is we're the first, right? So that's uh, interesting in itself. So like we're on our own and every other group died. The third one is, I love the, this, the title is we're fucked because um, we made it through, but the great filter is actually ahead of us. <laughs> so that's when well, it gets another scary. filter. Yeah, there's another great filter. And then it talks about type three civilizations and, you know, space travel and all yeah. that. I'm going to put it in the notes because it's just really fascinating and terrifying. We are currently a type 0.2, I think, species. Yeah, not type 1. Um, <laughs> if we were if we were able to uh, build a Dyson Sphere, though, we would move to a type... We would automatically upgrade to a type 2 species on the... Um, really? On the... What's the scale called? The the, uh, the, the thing. Fermi scale? Is it, Is it the fit? Well, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, whatever but- scale of scale. Yeah, and then, like, I think type three species has achieved like intergalactic space travel or something like that and also like uh, some isolates of biology stuff that prevents us from dying and stuff i don't know it's very complicated way way past anything i've studied <laughs> Got cool planet shit anyway so one day cool we'll go visit that shit. nice close planet <laughs> you want to go together let's we'll do, do a it. Podcast let's, from it let's let's take elon musk with us <laughs> so so let's talk about cloud business a topic that you love <laughs> there's no business like cloud business like no business i know but rackspace got acquired what about time how do you feel about this uh, rackspace is like an old big hosting company by about now right yeah well i mean Rackspace is cool. Like, well, okay, Rackspace is definitely not cool, but so they did reinvent um, themselves. They did. They're kind of like IBM. Um, so Rackspace started as the ma- the managed hosting company, and they, you know, if you were if you were not building on Amazon, uh, not building on well. Basically, you were building on Rackspace. Like any, everyone was building on Rackspace back in the day. Everybody. And so many companies. Everyone built on Rackspace. If you were, if you were um, Adidas, if you were Toyota, if you were any agency, if you were any like anyone, you had like an app or like a website or whatever that you wanted that was enterprise grade or enterprise scale. You were building it on Rackspace, and the reasons were a few. Um, they had a, actually had phenomenal customer support. Like They're famous really for it. Wanted, yeah, they even trademarked really, it. <laughs> Yep, yep. Fanatical, <laughs> fanatical support. Beautiful. Uh, they had Robert Scroble, who's a very interesting fellow. Oh, God. Uh, Google Glass ruined by that guy, single-handedly. Oh, single-handedly. <laughs> the shower picture. It always comes <laughs> seared into my retinas. Anyway. Me too. Me too. I'll never be able to forget that image. But I but I must say, I, I like Rob a lot. And, I've, and I know him quite well. And he's a great guy. So Rackspace. Um, but they didn't really nail Cloud. So they kind of missed the cloud boat and then we came along. Um, and so it's kind of funny. This is like the lesser known stories of DigitalOcean. But so DigitalOcean used to be a company called ServerStack, um, which was founded by my buddies, uh, Ben and Moise Uretsky. Ah. And they were trying to compete with Rackspace. 
at, with ServerStack and they had better cost servers. They had better networking stack. They actually had better support, but it didn't matter because it was sort of like no one got fired for, um, for using IBM. No one got fired for using Rackspace because it was just so reliable and so good. And so, Ben and Moisey just got owned by Rackspace. Uh, and it was right, that was like right at the time when Rackspace IPO'd as well. So oh, they wow. just got like completely owned by Rackspace. But then in their wisdom, kind of didn't miss the boat on the cloud thing. And so then Rackspace got owned by DigitalOcean. So, huh. which was which was Ben and Moisey's second company. So, oh, really? So it wasn't even their first go around with it? No, they learned the, they learned that Rackspace was the wrong thing. And the future, you know, was cloud. And so crazy that was, yeah. So that was DigitalOcean and DigitalOcean killed everyone like DreamHost, Media, Temple. Uh, yeah, they Blue, all look so archaic Blue Yonder. Now. Yeah, DigitalOcean destroyed. Uh, and so that's why DO grew so fast because it was the first easy to use kind of cloud-esque low cost web host. Right. And so this left. Rack space in the market with no position. Um, you weren't going to compete with DigitalOcean because they were not known as a developer company. They were really known as like an enterprise um, big business <laughs> yeah. company. They didn't know how to do really know how to do um, B two C marketing the way that we did, uh, and they were be they would just get owned by. AWS, uh, oh, yeah. Google Compute, uh, and Azure if they tried to compete in cloud because they don't have the, the skills that those companies have. So in their wisdom, they pivoted into services. So I presume what's going to happen is they've gone, they've been acquired um, by a, a private equity firm, which everyone thinks is the kiss of death. Hey. I imagine what will happen is they will convert it fully into a consulting uh, company, right, right. and then they will sell it off to like Accenture, or they'll sell it off to, uh, um, yeah, that is the kiss of death, or they'll sell it off to like Amazon and make them the managed support. But, but, but there is definitely a market for this, you know. Like as, and I've been saying this, you know, for years. So I guess I'll just pat myself on the back and have a, a nice <laughs> time with my ego. But um, you know, there's definitely a huge unserviced market for helping what I would consider small to medium sized businesses, but that would be like, but that would be like 10 million to $20 million a year businesses in the grand scheme of businesses um, that need to migrate into cloud. And so if you're like, you know, some conglomerate of newspapers in, in, uh, in Nebraska or some door, like, you know, (laughs) South Dakota or something like that. And you have your, you know, your, your stuff on DreamHost and Media Temple and WordPress.com and stuff. And you want to just be like modernize, get on the cloud, get our costs down, get into like kind of the 21st century of, of app and web, then you're going to, there's a huge, you're not going to hire Accenture. There's this huge gap of, of you just, no one is helping those people migrate to cloud. So, so actually Amazon, Google and, and Azure need uh, Rackspace to, or a company like Rackspace to help, with this migration right interesting i didn't realize it was quite a i I knew that they because rackspace was really trying with the cloud thing for a little while but it was kind of smoke and mirrors because i used it once and it was more like cloud servers that were really like touching the physical metal (laughs) so oh it's terrible i've used their cloud it's junk yeah it's really not great (laughs) i mean as a 
not like I got plenty of shitty things to say about plenty of cloud providers, but DigitalOcean is a really quite a good cloud provider. If you I just use want something like just yeah, just a server to run, it's super easy. You don't have to worry about logging into this huge control panel with a billion buttons. DigitalOcean like, host this podcast you know. now. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it seems good. So, I, what was the price of that acquisition? Like one couple point of billion. Like it was a lot less than I would have expected, given what Rackspace is going through. Though it's maybe you know it's about what what you would expect. They they got left behind. So, you know, I mean, I think that they really bet on that you know bare metal business, and they just didn't Ooh. realize what was it. Four point three billion wow. cash. Cash. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. It was underwritten by um, by uh, Royal Bank of Canada. And, really? Uh, yeah, a few other weird banks I noticed. Uh, yeah, so I think this this is also known as a relatively good private equity firm. So yeah. they acquired them for $32 uh, dollars per share, which is yeah $4.3 billion cash deal. Wow, pretty good. Solid. So we'll see what happens. Everyone definitely they're going to gut the business, and yeah. bring, I think there's a, a lot of people work there. Yeah, I mean it's huge. I mean they're famous for having that shopping mall office. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> they, it's crazy. They, bought an, <laughs> they literally bought a mall and turned it into an office, which is awesome. It's I mean it's a crazy place, but it's also kind of insane. <laughs> Rackspace have been trying to sell itself for a little while, I think, yeah. though, so I'm not surprised this happened. They couldn't Speaking of Amazon, though. What about Amazon? Did you know that they went to a 30-hour work week? Yeah, for some people on the team. That's pretty cool, actually. I love the idea. Some other companies have tried that in the past. Well, some similar ideas. I think Treehouse had the 32-hour-a-week thing, so nobody worked so on Friday. Deal? Yeah, well, so it seems like they're giving a small group of people the option to work 30 hours instead of 40 and still give them full benefits, which is pretty compelling, actually. I I, I like the idea of that. You know, uh, 30 hours is interesting. I would say like, I would say 32 or 34 is probably like a better point. But I like the idea of giving people the room to get their work done in that time and seeing if it works, right? I think that I think you can be just as productive in four days if you're in the mindset of that. Does that make sense? It's like mm-hmm. with five work days, I do feel like sometimes it's just a bit much. I think four work days, I could slam out a good week worth of work in those days, but I would have to be in that four day mindset. And I think it would work really, really well. Computers were supposed to be this thing that meant like nobody had to work as much, but everybody still works 40 hour weeks from the industrial days, right? Like it's crazy. Bums on seats is not a good policy. So I'm kind of like really hoping this becomes a bit of a more normal thing. In Europe, so this is a really interesting thing here in Europe. So I don't know what it's like outside the Netherlands, but here when you accept a job, so say you negotiate your salary, right? You accept a job and then you negotiate how many hours you'll work for that salary, right? So I accepted this job at Vermoof and then I negotiated how many hours I'd work and I worked 37 hours a week rather than 40. So I have, you know, designated times I don't go to the office, even though like it's still flexible, but having that like line in the sand where you say like on this day, I don't come into the office makes a big difference. It's actually really refreshing having that. I think France has this bizarre rule where you have to only work 33 hours and that's where it gets a bit weird. But (laughs) I think, I think it's cool if companies are able to try it and see if it works for them. I don't know. If you want your employees mm-hmm. to not burn out, I think it's a 
compelling way to eat. I think that it's it's not for everybody, but if if you can make it work, why the hell not, right? If you find that your employees are doing just as much work, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. I work a lot more than yeah, 30. I work, <laughs> oh God, I work uh, seven days a week, six hours a day. Jeez, man. Five hours a day. You're the CEO there. Yeah, I've been doing, but I've been, I've also been doing that for six years. Wow. You like to work. <laughs> I love working. I really love working. I absolutely love my job. I love what I do. Right. I love everybody I meet. Uh, it doesn't feel like work for me, so I don't mind See, doing that's it. that's cool. But I, I guess it's work. Yeah, it's work, but you've got a dope company. So <laughs> yeah, it's like if, if I have free time, I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, I don't know. I'll go read a report about smart cities. That's well, cool. Is that work or not work? Yeah, right? like, exactly. <laughs> it's hard to say. <laughs> it's not. It is work, but it's not really work. Work, it's super work, 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 work. Everybody work, work, work. That's work, immediately work, what I thought work, of. Work, work, hey, work, so we're going to hang work. out in New York soon. Yep. What date is that? I don't know, in two weeks. September 18th. We're meeting at... Thank you. Blind Barber. And we're going to all hang out. I haven't actually checked if anybody RSVP'd to the event yet. Corner of Lorimer and Ainsley. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Even if we just drink a beer alone, it's going to be awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't mind that. But some you, you guys should come if you're listening to this. I'm going to check the event right now before. How's your, uh, how is your new Wi-Fi? Oh my god, yeah. I, I went to wrap up and I didn't even tell you about how dope my new Wi-Fi is. So I got really tired of shitty consumer Wi-Fi and it went a bit crazy, John. I'm ashamed. I bought Enterprise Wi-Fi into my house. <laughs> so what is Enterprise Wi-Fi? Well, usually it's funny because in my head, usually saying Enterprise Wi-Fi is like horrible, you know? Like when you think Enterprise, you're like, oh God, it's managed terrible shit <laughs> made for big companies but okay so i bought i bought this uh system called the ubiquity unify system and basically it's the coolest access points ever they're really cheap they're like 80 euros a, do- a pop or 90 dollars or something which is actually pretty good for a ac ap and then uh i also got another thing called the ubiquity uh, security gateway which is basically a hardware firewall, which is fairly cheap. And the reason that's really nice is it kind of uh, fits into the whole ecosystem and you get this nice dashboard of the whole thing, but that's like not necessary. Anyway, for an enterprise system, it's amazing. You install the software, you basically like set up the names of your APs and then it just deploys it to the two of them and they just work. That's it. Like it just works. And then you can see the throughput and who's using the most Wi-Fi and you can block people and like restrict some people on the network or make a guest portal it's seriously good my house every time we podcast i feel like i'm disconnected briefly at least a couple of times but with this it's amazing it's rock solid wi-fi like i i will i will rant and rave about how cool this is forever especially if you have a big house i have a small dutch house but it's like really long and narrow and there's brick walls and stuff so it's really hard to get wi-fi in here and you can't drill holes in the wall in a rental so so uh it had to be like a solution where i could have a wi-fi hardwired somewhere and then you know do a uplink to the other one and it's it's the best system i've used there's a bunch of those other ones out there that are really interesting right now like aero is a really interesting one there's a new one from tp link or netgear i think 
and it's it creates like this mesh network where your devices are supposed to hand off at your house you know whenever you walk from one into the other but this ubiquity stuff is amazing because you can get so much control it's not super confusing there's not heaps of like horrible interface stuff i'll put like a link to it in the in the show notes but i really 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 like it and now i don't have shit wi-fi so i used the airport express before whatever that thing was airport extreme so i'm just glad but we have like 500 megabytes a second down and i think that's when you start push, start pushing against the end top end of that consumer stuff as well right like mm-hmm. it's not made for that speed it's made for throughput, yeah, yeah it's made for like adsl <laughs> most of that yeah. <laughs> home kit so it's it's really refreshing to see and there's the dashboard is awesome like the fact that you can actually see what's going on is really really cool so i i love my wi-fi <laughs> i noticed that our slack channel has gotten now like 60 people shown up yeah, got crazy like busy, right? people yeah so <clears throat> excuse me hello to all of our um charged podcast uh slack people it's a super fun and place to hang also out. richard uh fortune tweeted the hilarious thing at us he the other transcribed day it. on charge amazing on charge podcast episode 18 i wondered about the swear stats 19 f's and 12 s's and it was, that was need a swear job. was that the one where we were trying not to swear no that was last week <laughs> yeah i think this is episode 20 yeah, right so, i only said one f bomb today so we did really good <laughs> so next week we're going to shoot for zero cussing in our podcast so somebody transcribe and then, it and tell us how many shits we say <laughs> Oh, and Sorry. people have kids and they listen in cars. Oh my such goodness. A, such a boop. Yep. And then um, I also just looked at our um, our uh, our charge um, meetup thing and it looks like 10 people are coming. And I'm going to give a shout out to all my um, School of Visual Art homies because apparently nice. a couple of people from SVA are coming. So Sweet. Well, you might have to tell the bar that we're bringing a lot of people <laughs> if it happens. Uh, they'll love that. Sweet. Well, I'm looking forward to it. So if anybody wants to hang out in cyberspace or IRL, which feels like a really old person thing to say now, <laughs> come and hang in New York. The links are always in the show notes and I'm busy building a dope new site and we're going to move to SoundCloud. It just takes time. And then we can comment on the podcast and people can say things. Oh my God. <laughs> Beautiful. Did you load that up suddenly? Do you remember that? It literally gave me flashbacks of Windows 95. That's Windows 98. Beautiful. I wish computers still did cool stuff like oh, that. Oh, I know. This one's my favorite. Oh, that's that's Windows XP, right? Nope. Windows 2000. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Windows XP is a little bit more refined than that. You have oh, to, you see, have to play. I don't have Windows XP. Here. I love that you're playing this. This is really a blast from the past. Now. That was Windows 2000. Oh. I really remember that. <laughs> yeah, no, Windows 2000 was also one of my favorite. Um... Uh, oh. See, that's beautiful. Yeah, that one is burned into my air canals. I hate that sound. It's burned into my air canals. <laughs> that and that freaking um, that background with the hills, I'll never forget. Oh, God. Why, Microsoft? But you know what? Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> they had so much charm, though, right? Like, <laughs> computers had so much charm back then. I have to say, I the reason that that came up was because last night I remembered the Windows. I just like was having this nostalgia of like early internet, and I was like 
somehow the the Windows uh, 95 startup sound is played in my head. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I wonder what that actually sounds like. I'll go back and replay it. And there's this like there's they're all on YouTube, of course. So I just sat and listened to them all for like an hour. And then I posted on Facebook. Oh, my God. This is like being in the womb. <laughs> Anyway, so that's Charge Tech Podcast. Talk to you next week, folks. talking about how good my wi-fi is and it died (laughs) yeah i did i I did i finished it off all right what did you say (laughs) i said all right i played one more i was like all right that's trash tech podcast talk to you next week folks (laughs)